0: Hi, it's John here. We're going to do something a little different for the next few episodes of Checks and Balance. And to explain why, I'm joined by Tamara Jilks-Bohr, The Economist's US policy correspondent, who's a familiar voice to listeners of the podcast.
1: Hi, John. Hi, everybody.
0: So when I want to understand what's going on in education in America, Tamara is the person I talk to. Number one, because she has a big brain. She also has a PhD in education policy, but also because she used to be a public schools teacher in America. And Normally, Tamara, those conversations are about things like how American schools can teach math better, or how they can teach reading better, or do pupils do better in charter schools or in traditional public schools. But I guess last summer, we started talking about what was going on in American schools and American school boards.
1: Yeah, we definitely were. We were noticing that there was a ton of news about these really frenzied school board meetings that were turning into these school board fights and people were even getting punched in the face, some were getting arrested, and we both just wanted to know what was going on.
0: Yes, and those scenes were quite a long way away from the experience that you'd had as a teacher in your life before journalism and before academia, right?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think my first reaction was just, what is going on? And then once I realized that the thing that people were getting so angry about was this legal theory called critical race theory, I found it almost laughable. We had a hard enough time teaching our kids basic reading, math, and writing. How are we going to teach them a complicated legal theory that I learned in graduate school? It just seemed really absurd at first. But then, as I started digging in, I realized that there was so much more here than I first thought.
0: Okay, so for the next three episodes of Checks and Balance, I'm going to hand the reins over to you.
1: Okay, great. Thanks, John. The show started as it usually does. With his brown bouffant hair, perma tan, and striped shirt and tie, the host looked straight into the camera at the viewers at home.
2: We haven't done this for partisan reasons, honestly.
1: Behind him was the familiar green screen image of an illuminated Capitol dome against a dark blue nighttime sky. Tucker Carlson was worried. The threat that we're facing is deeper and more significant than any single election. The Fox News star opened Tucker Carlson Tonight with his customary dire warnings about how the libs were destroying America. The nation was still grappling with George Floyd's murder three months before, and Carlson was railing against Black Lives Matter protesters and the political violence they were carrying out.
2: Why would kids raised in the fairest country in the world support a violent
1: revolutionary group like BLM, whose program consists mainly of destroying things? To understand the root of this chaos, Carlson introduced a guest. The problem
2: is larger than most people understand. Larger, in fact, than we understood until we read the reporting
1: of a man called Chris Rufo. Rufo has spent months investigating critical race theory indoctrination. Christopher Ruffo appeared on a split screen next to Carlson against the same blue backdrop, with Seattle's space needle in place of the Capitol building. Rufo, thanks so much for
2: coming on. Appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thanks so much. A conservative journalist and activist Ruffo claimed to have discovered that America's woes were being caused by a niche legal concept called critical race theory, CRT for short.
3: This is something I've been investigating for the last six months, and it's absolutely astonishing how critical race theory has pervaded every institution in the federal government.
1: Ruffo explained that he had discovered that CRT, which suggests that racism is systemic, had escaped college campuses And he claimed been weaponized against the American people.
3: But conservatives need to wake up that this is an existential threat to the United States.
1: Curiously, he didn't mention where the front line of the battle over critical race theory now sits. Public schools. Ruffo had published articles on a conservative website. But his appearance on cable news's biggest show supercharged his message. And there was one of Tucker Carlson's over 3 million viewers who Rufo particularly hoped was paying attention.
3: And I call on the president uh, to immediately issue this executive order and, and stamp out this destructive, divisive, pseudoscientific ideology at its root.
1: He did. Three weeks later, President Trump issued an executive order on combating race and sex stereotyping, which banned diversity training in the federal government. The dam had broken. What started as the pet project of an unknown activist is now one of the core rallying cries of the right. How did this happen? I'm Tamara Jilkspoor, and this is Checks and Balance from The Economist. This is the first of a special three-part series in which I'll be investigating the fight over critical race theory that is consuming America's public schools. Until recently, critical race theory was a niche legal term only encountered by graduate students. It's now a catch-all for whatever the right thinks is going wrong with America, and a new front line in the culture war, alongside abortion and guns. The anti-CRT movement has become a powerful new social, legislative, and political force in its own right. In this first episode, we're going to ask, What actually is critical race theory? I graduated college in 2008 with a degree in journalism, but I decided to pursue education instead. My family had always emphasized the importance of school and I had always loved learning. And I believed that education was the answer to many of society's social problems. So I thought that teaching was the natural next step for me. I taught for five years in public schools in New York City. I've had a few career changes since then, and teaching continues to be the hardest job I ever had. Teaching well is not easy. I worked all day, late into the evening, and most weekends my colleagues and I stressed about giving our students what they deserved. But despite our hard work, our kids never did as well as we had hoped. I continued to think about these problems after I'd left teaching. So years later, after earning a PhD in education policy and working as a journalist, when I heard that schools were being consumed by fights over critical race theory, I knew I had to figure out what on earth was going on. I spent months now looking into this, Crisscrossing the country to speak with parents, students, teachers who have lost their jobs over all this, experts, and the man who started it all, Christopher Rufo. I have to admit, when I started, I was pretty skeptical of the anti-CRT movement. As a former teacher, I chalked it up to hysteria. I thought I knew exactly what was going on. The next few months proved to be quite humbling. I did not see much of this coming. I've realized that the CRT debate is a lot more complex than I imagined. It is something everyone should pay attention to, no matter what side you're on. The anti-CRT movement began to really attract mainstream attention last summer when school board meetings like this one in Loudoun County, Virginia, descended into chaos. People all over the country are furious about what children are supposedly learning.
2: Hate and division is being taught by evil parents. You're teaching
0: children to
2: hate others because of their skin color.
1: Books have been banned.
0: The past year has seen over 1,500 book bans implemented across U.S. school districts.
1: And politicians on the right, like Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, have taken up the cause.
2: Parents should have confidence that if they send their kid to school, they're being educated on the basics and not being polluted with things because somebody has an agenda to try to advance an ideology. Getting critical race theory out of our schools is not just a matter of values, it's also a matter of national survival.
1: We have no choice. This was President Trump at a South Carolina rally in March this year.
2: The fate of any nation ultimately depends upon the willingness of its citizens to lay down, and they must do this, lay down their very lives to defend their country. If we allow the Marxists and communists and socialists to teach our children to hate America, there will be no one left to defend our flag or to protect our great country or its freedom.
1: Critical race theory was even used by Senator Ted Cruz to attack Katanji Brown Jackson at her Supreme Court hearing.
3: To students in pre-K through second grade, so four through seven years old, um, do, do you agree with this book that is being taught with kids that, that babies are racist?
1: And it's become a favorite talking point on right-wing media.
3: Critical race theory has been the huge hype on the left, but the biggest concern to those on the right.
1: Now, every once in a while, an on-air exchange slips
2: through the cracks on one of the other cable networks that's worth watching. On CNN, of all places, where they booked a point-counterpoint on critical race theory. Critical race theory. Critical race theory. That's what we so often debate on television.
1: According to the nonprofit Media Matters, In June 2020, Fox News mentioned the phrase critical race theory three times. In June 2021, it was mentioned 901 times. But what actually is critical race theory? There's two answers to that.
4: I can describe the academic discipline of critical race theory, which in many ways is irrelevant to this conversation since much of... What has been packaged as critical race theory is not reflective of that or even
1: interested in it. This is law professor and civil rights activist Kimberly Crenshaw. She was one of the scholars who created the theory in the 1970s and 80s.
4: Critical race theory is a prism for looking at, understanding, analyzing, and potentially intervening in the overarching structure of racial inequality in American society.
1: The 1960s have been a decade of great progress for civil rights, with the growing protest movement and the passing of important laws under President Lyndon Johnson.
2: Their cause must be our cause, too. Cause it's not just Negroes but really it's all of us who must overcome the crippling legacy of bigotry and injustice and we shall overcome
4: so critical race theory builds from a premise that equality is a norm that is part of our American legacy. It is embedded in the 14th Amendment. And so it consistently asks the question, how are we doing Uh, with that norm. How are we doing with that objective? Are we at a point where, as Martin Luther King said in the March on Washington, has that promissory note ever come back marked paid in full?
0: This note was a promise that all men, yes, black men as well as white men, would be guaranteed the unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness.
4: And the answer to that question is obviously no.
1: Despite all this progress, true equality had not yet been reached. Crenshaw and her peers began to ask why.
4: What are the ways that Racial inequality is consistently reproduced even within neutral institutions, even by people and places that frame themselves as colorblind. There is still a legacy that has to be dealt with if we have any hope of making good on those promises.
1: The theory is that racism is structural, not just individual. People have steadily become less racist. For example, when Bill Clinton became president, a majority of Americans disapproved of interracial marriage. 30 years later, that number has fallen to 10 percent. Yet systems, laws, and policies continue to produce racial inequality today. The GI Bill technically gave all World War II soldiers access to loans for college and homes. But many Black GIs were barred from receiving these loans and many were blocked from good colleges and neighborhoods. This prevented many Black families from accumulating wealth for decades. Today, white families have eight times more wealth than Black families. Critical race theory asks its students to look at the world through this prism. Before the current uproar, CRT was an obscure academic topic really only encountered by graduate students. If you don't really understand critical race theory, don't worry, very few people do. Which makes it all the more surprising that it's being taught in schools to young children. So is it? Well, it's actually more complicated than that. Sure, some aspects of CRT might be taught to children, despite many Democrats denying this. But CRT, the legal theory, has been co-opted by some on the right to embody much more. And it's being used to create fear and cause chaos. So what does CRT mean to those who are campaigning so stringently against it? To understand that, I spoke to the man who started it all, Christopher Rufo. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com weightloss. When I arrived at Christopher Rufo's house in a town not far from Seattle, I didn't know what to expect. I'm a Black journalist, and I was about to meet someone who mocks Black Lives Matter and rails against the mainstream media.
3: All right, we're all ready. Got coffee. Well,
1: thank you so much for taking time. But to as soon as I got there, I, really I felt at ease. Pleasure. Rufo gave off urban professional vibes. I felt comfortable. I know this kind of guy. I'd gone to school and worked with guys like this. It certainly did not seem like I was walking into the command center of the rights culture war.
3: Uh, yeah, I'm Christopher Rufo. I'm a writer, uh, reporter, activist. And I've been for the last year, I've been focused on critical race theory, doing the investigative reporting, exposing critical race theory in federal agencies, in K-12 schools, in Fortune 100 companies.
1: For anyone listening outside of the U.S., K-12 is kindergarten through 12th grade, basically the entirety of a student's time in school before college. Rufo says his interest in CRT was initially sparked when whistleblowers sent him details of diversity training in the federal government.
3: And I see this really wild, racially segregated, very aggressive, very Maoist training documents that they were using in Seattle. That was an aha moment of discovery for me.
1: Then he quickly moved on to public schools. Rufo says that CRT began there years ago with good intentions, but it spiraled out of control. And apologies. That sound you can hear while Chris Rufo is speaking is me furiously scribbling away.
3: I get the sense from looking at the documents and talking to the teachers that it was a genuine interest in saying schools should really be making sure that we prepare minority students. Uh, We should be aware of racial issues, differences and conflicts and try to tackle them through, at the time, courageous conversations was the phrase they used. And so from that point, which I think was well-intentioned and I think was genuine, over the course of 10 years from 2010 to 2020, you start seeing it popping up everywhere. And then really in 2020, it's like a bomb went off. You see it everywhere in a real politicized, polemical form where it's not well-intentioned conversation. It is hard left-wing political activism. Laundered through public school bureaucracies and then attacking what they view as culture and systems and impediments with this relentless mandate that they felt like they had earned following the public outcry after the death of George Floyd.
1: I agree with Rufo that it's not a coincidence that the conversation around CRT grew in the aftermath of George Floyd's murder and the protests that followed, although I think it's more complex. I'll get into that later in this series. As critical race theory morphed from an esoteric academic topic to a kitchen table concern, it's become an all-encompassing definition that includes everything from diversity training to classroom history lessons. And now the anti-CRT movement has turned its focus toward gender and sexuality. After Rufo's appearance on Tucker Carlson Tonight, anti-CRT bills began to spread through state legislatures. Rebecca Dow is a representative in New Mexico. She introduced a bill that would ban the teaching of CRT in the state schools. And she is a useful person to speak to while I'm trying to understand how the right defines CRT because that's partly what her bill does.
5: So since there is no definition of critical race theory in New Mexico, that is the basis of the bill to define it.
1: Um, Dow was concerned about a proposal to update New Mexico's social studies curriculum.
5: There were elements that sounded like critical race theory, classic language that's part of critical race theory that would normally be seen in the higher education level in the K-12 social studies standard. For example, evaluating what is an Efficient, equitable, just economic system, suggestions that capitalism is inherently unfair, suggestions that the state is systematically racist or that all things can be described as either oppressor or oppressed.
1: Dow's bill was pretty short, barely more than two pages. It defines critical race theory as a theory or ideology that teaches such things as the view that one race is inherently responsible for the intentional or inadvertent oppression of another race, or a person's moral character is determined by their race or gender. As you can hear, this diverges a lot from Crenshaw's original definition.
5: My purpose in introducing the bill is to make sure that we are not promoting an idea That these children are being taught at school that based on their race, based on their sex, that they're inherently racist, sexist, intentionally or unintentionally, that they are oppressive. Our history is not perfect. America's history is not perfect. But we should be united in bringing forth equity and the opportunity to live out the American dream. The American
1: dream is alive and well. Dow's bill eventually failed. It didn't even make it past the committee stage. The catch is she was expecting this. So based on the party composition of New Mexico's legislature, it sounds like it probably won't pass. Is that the correct assumption? Well, it's probably a correct assumption, yes. When we spoke, Dow was running to be the GOP candidate for New Mexico governor. At the primary in June, she came second.
0: What does a real, lifelong conservative look like? Front and Rebecca center Downs, in
1: the campaign ad, the unborn, pinned to the top of her Twitter feed, along with the more traditional pet issues of the right.
0: Defending the Second Amendment. Fighting in the roundhouse to stop late-term abortion and ban CRT. Rebecca Downs, Critical a race theory. True champion.
5: I've dedicated my life to fighting for New Mexico's future. I'll restore freedom, liberty, and opportunity to New Mexico.
1: Although her bill didn't go anywhere, it was politically advantageous to Dow to be able to prove her anti-CRT bona fides in her election campaign. Bills to ban the teaching of CRT have gained traction elsewhere. So far, 42 states have introduced bills or other actions to limit CRT in classrooms, and 17 have already restricted CRT.
0: Iowa's Governor Kim Reynolds has signed a law yesterday banning the teaching of critical race theory.
5: The critical race theory movement in the headlines is Florida becomes the latest state to ban schools from teaching about systemic racism.
0: As governor, I firmly believe that not one cent of taxpayer money should be used to define and divide young Oklahomans about their race or sex.
1: Tennessee is now
5: banning teachers from talking about certain aspects of race and racism in public
1: schools. Teachers are at Christopher Ruffo has helped to develop some of these bills. He's produced model legislation, testified before state lawmakers, and he says he's spoken with the governors of Arizona, Oklahoma, and Florida. So what exactly is in these bills? I spoke with Jeffrey Sachs, a political science professor at Acadia University in Nova Scotia, Canada, to get some insight.
2: These bills can most easily be categorized according to what sorts of speech they target and how they go about targeting it. So for the most part, the bills target three major areas of instruction in educational institutions. They either target uh, race and racism, Uh, Or they target the way instructors discuss or provide lessons on uh, U.S. history or contemporary U.S. society. Or lastly, and I think more recently, they are beginning to target as well LGBTQ issues and identities. Another really convenient way to distinguish the different kinds of bills is to think about how they go about prohibiting or the mechanism they use to prohibit.
1: The first prohibits public schools and universities from requiring students to adopt or affirm certain beliefs. This is the least concerning because the First Amendment essentially does this anyway.
2: However, there's two other categories of law or bill out there that's much more concerning. The second sort of prohibition is the prohibition on promotion. These are, for instance, laws like HB 7, the recently passed law in Florida, that prohibits public universities and K-12 teachers from endorsing, promoting, or advancing certain ideas in the classroom. Here, the prohibition relates to just promoting an idea or advancing an idea in the classroom. And that's much more worrying because people are gonna disagree about what constitutes promotion versus what constitutes a straightforward recitation of facts. So there's a lot of ambiguity there. And then the last category is the prohibition on inclusion. This is the most sweeping kind of language. These sorts of bills prohibit instructors from even including an idea in their instruction, even if they do so neutrally or even critically. So for instance, you might see a bill that prohibits people from including in the classroom The idea that one race or sex is inherently superior to another race or sex. The problem there is there are all kinds of legitimate pedagogical reasons for why somebody might want to include an idea in the classroom, for instance, to criticize it.
1: Sachs is also concerned about the punishment outlined in these bills and laws. There are three main types. Professional discipline for the educator, such as suspension or termination. Monetary fines or revocation of state aid for the school or district. And finally, private right of action, where a citizen can sue a district. Some bills that have not yet become law are also considering issuing criminal punishments or stripping schools of their accreditation. But many of the laws are so unclear that educators have no idea what is considered illegal.
2: These bills, almost as a rule, are very vague in the way they're written. So typically what happens when that arises is some sort of state agency will release a guidance, a document intended to help inform how institutions like schools and universities implement the law and make sure that they stay on the right side of it. Unfortunately, many, if not most, of the bills that have become law have not had any kind of guidance issued with them. Instead, teachers, principals, superintendents are flying blind. In that kind of environment where they don't know how these vague, ambiguous laws are going to be interpreted by the courts, the safe move, especially if you're a paranoid county attorney, is to advise your client, advise your teachers and your principals to err on the side of self-censorship, to not talk about race, to not talk about affirmative action, to not talk about historic sexism, because the last thing that you want to do is roll the dice and wind up losing your bet, wind up finding that all of a sudden you're in court expending huge amounts of billable hours defending yourself against a lawsuit that you had no way of anticipating.
1: Just this month, the governor of Oklahoma announced an investigation into Tulsa's public schools. He's looking into a potential misuse of public funds and to see whether the teachers are illegally teaching CRT. The people supporting these bills say it's about protecting kids. To Sachs, it sounds like censorship and a nightmare for teachers. Some people on the left suspect that there are some anti-CRT campaigners like Christopher Rufo, who have an ulterior motive. Kimberly Crenshaw has her own theory about what is happening.
4: Until we understand Uh, the magnitude of this attack to use race to dismantle public education as we know it. We won't be as effective as we can and should be.
1: Dismantle public education as we know it. I have to admit that when I first heard this idea from others before my interview with Crenshaw, I was a bit stunned. I needed to hear it from the horse's mouth, as they say. And then the same night that I spoke to her, I found this clip from a recent speech given by Rufo.
3: Well, we like our institutions. Um, I think conservatives are really realizing now we like what our institutions were. We like what we imagine them to be. And now that we are seeing what they are, we don't like them as much. And so luckily, the institutions are really doing this to themselves. You see trust in all of our institutions cratering.
1: Rufo describes the importance of school choice, a concept that allows families to take public school funds for their child and move it to another school, public, private, religious or otherwise.
3: To get universal school choice, you really need to operate from a premise of universal public school distrust. Because in order for people to take significant action, they have to feel like they have something at stake.
1: Are the anti-CRT activists actually concerned about CRT and simply want to reform schools, as they say? Or are they hoping to damage public schools by undermining parental trust in public school teachers, as their critics say? To find out, I have to see what is really going on in schools. Is CRT actually being taught to children? That's in the next episode.
3: I don't want my students leaving my class Being like, I hate the world.
4: It's not not what they want at all. That's that's not self-love.
1: My concerns in the book was that it was very, very, very focused on race.
4: It, It would be a little disingenuous to say that critical race theory and ethnic studies are completely, like, separate. And I do hear from some students that they, you know, are afraid at this very tender age of being canceled.
2: What you would call CRT seems to show a great deal of promise in realizing the academic potential of students.
1: You can hear that next episode sooner than usual on Monday, July 18th. And then part three will be out next Friday, the 22nd. You'll find them wherever you normally listen to this podcast. And you can also go to our new homepage, economist.com slash You'll find all of this series there once it's out, as well as the Checks and Balance archive. That's economist.com slash Thank you to Kimberly Crenshaw, Christopher Rufo, Rebecca Dow, and Jeffrey Sachs for speaking to me for this episode. And thank you to Robert Kim for his advice. This series was written and produced by me, Tamara jokes and Harriet Noble. Thank you to Weidong Lin for sound design and mixing, and Rachel Horwood for fact-checking. Amika Shortino-Nolan helped with the series, and John Prito is our editor. To read, watch, and listen to everything The Economist does, you'll need to become a subscriber head to economist.com/uspod to do that and thank you very much for listening until next time